This is The Guardian. Today, how is the king secretly profiting from the assets of dead citizens? <laughs> Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and Mop Master dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. So it was over summer this year I set off to Burnley, drove up from my home in the northwest to try and find anyone who remembered a woman called Val Taylor. She's actually one of the first names I found who was on one of these lists of people who died interstate. I wanted to come look at the house and have a chat, see if I can find out a bit more about how she lived. So I knew that Val lived in Burnley, she'd lived there for decades and decades. Uh, For years she'd worked as a nursery manager and she was really well loved in her neighbourhood. I spoke to people from her local pub who remembered her fondly. And the reason I was looking for Val was because I knew that she had sadly passed away at the age of 72 and she didn't have any next of kin. And when she died, the officials looked for a will but couldn't find anything. And so the reason I wanted to find Val was because of what was going to happen to her estate, all her worldly possessions. Made it to Val's house. Clearly no sign of occupancy. It's sat here empty. There's an MDF board over the door where it had been broken in. The lawn is wild and overgrown. The car sits in the drive, weeds growing around it. The old dog gate in the back seat. And her bin's knocked over. What happened to Val's belongings, to any money she had after she died, has been troubling Maeve McLennigan for months. And it turned out Val's story wasn't unique. So what happens to these cases? Where does their money go? And what does it have to do with the king? From The Guardian, I'm Lashine Iqbal. Today in Focus, the cost of the crown and questions for the king over his property empire. Maeve McLennigan, you're an investigative reporter for The Guardian, and you've been looking into a wild story that connects the king to some of the most deprived areas in the northwest of England. But to understand exactly what is going on here, we do need to start with the basics and the law in this country around what happens when someone dies without a will or a known next of kin. Yeah, this is something I've been looking into for months, along with my colleagues Rob Evans and Henry Dyer. So in most of England and Wales, if you pass away and you don't have a will and you don't have any next of kin, all your estate or your assets would be transferred to the government. 
to the treasury and they would then spend them, you know, partly perhaps on public services, schools and hospitals and roads. So as well as money that's coming from individual people's estates, the same is true for money that comes from dissolved companies that were last registered in those areas. So that's happened for decades and or centuries even. The name for these types of assets is bona vacantia, which is Latin for vacant goods or ownerless goods. So that's true for nearly everywhere in the country, that if you pass away without a will or next of kin, your estate goes to the government. But in Cornwall, it would go to the Duchy of Cornwall, which is this hereditary estate that is overseen by Prince William, in this case, whoever is the male heir to the throne. And in a large swathe of the northwest, it's the Duchy of Lancaster who would get all those assets. Okay, so then tell me a bit more about the Duchy of Lancaster. How does it work? How does it make money for the king? The Duchy of Lancaster is this huge portfolio of land and property. It's existed since the 13th century when all of this land was given up to the king by dukes and earls and the like. And in recent years, it's become hugely lucrative, first for the queen and and now for the king. So this estate is clearly bringing in huge revenues. How big a part does this money from Bona Vacantia, which is essentially the life savings of people with no wills, how big a part does that play? Well, last year it was about £9 million. Over the last 10 years, it's been more than £60 million in total. And so that's all coming from these dissolved companies and people who passed away across this area, which is called the Lancashire County Palatine. That's Lancashire, parts of Cheshire, parts of Cumbria, Merseyside and Greater Manchester. And so anybody that passes away there without a, a will or a next of kin, their assets would go to the duchy. And what has the duchy said about how it processes that bona vacantia money? So what they say in their accounts is that some of that money gets taken away for costs, just the cost of processing it. Some of it goes to historical obligations, things like there's a chapel in the Savoy, which is in London. They have Lancaster Castle. But they suggest and have done for decades that money goes to charities, specifically three charities that are all duchy affiliated or duchy linked. So Maeve, you and a team of The Guardian's investigative reporters have spent the last few months digging deep into the counts of the Duchy of Lancaster. Where did all this begin and what did you later find? So I was intrigued by this, about this money going to the charities. And I I talked with Rob Evans and Henry Dyer and we started looking at the charities accounts and the money that was going from the duchy to the charities. And then we were puzzled because actually when we look over 10 years, only 15% of the money that they receive from these Bona Vacantia funds has been passed on to those charities. So we wondered... What happens to all of the rest of that money? And in fact, what we see is their spending on things like their upkeep of castles and historic monuments just skyrockets in the last 10 years. It increases hugely. So that was curious to us. And then we got sight of some really interesting internal documents The most fascinating to me was this document, which is a policy from 2020, in which they're explaining their definition of what they can spend this money on. And they're talking about what they call, quote, heritage assets. Heritage assets? 
So they're saying it's okay to spend this money, which in this document they're calling special costs, but we understand is the money from people's estates in the Northwest on what they consider to be heritage assets. Mm. Okay, so we might have assumptions on what those are, the kind of listed buildings or castles or monuments. But actually what this document does is lay out the criteria for when they can use that money. And it includes things like any property that's in an area of outstanding natural beauty, any property that's in an area that's a conservation area or a site of scientific interest, or any property that's just deemed to be of local historical importance. Right. And when we mapped that against all of their land titles that we that we know we have from the land registry, we see that nearly half of their property portfolio would be covered by this policy now. So they're basically, in this policy, giving themselves permission to use these funds on any of those properties. So... Officially, on paper, this money is supposed to be used for the upkeep of heritage properties, heritage assets, as as they're called. But May, from what you've seen, what does that look like up close? Yes, and I should say that that reference to heritage assets, that's just in this policy document. So publicly, in any of their accounts or in any of their public-facing materials, they don't mention that. So one, this is kind of new information, but then two, we get sight of more documents that show the specific properties that were identified as eligible for these funds. And, you know, seeing those examples was really eye-opening to me because they weren't what you would perhaps deem as a typical heritage asset. You know, these weren't all grade-listed buildings that are on some kind of historical preservation list somewhere. They're, They're rental properties. Houses, agricultural buildings, barns, a 1940s petrol station in Lancashire. So it's things like putting in double glazed windows, painting the outside of the buildings, putting on new roofs, putting in boilers, log burners being installed in people's houses. So it was really interesting to see those examples. So Maeve, after looking through this list, you went out on the road to try and find some of these properties. Where did you go? So in Yorkshire, not far from Scarborough, I visited this cute little town called Cloughton. On the main street of this town, the duchy owned 20 houses. I'm walking along the high street. It's called the high street, but it's the, I guess it's the main artery through the village. And really noticeable are the number of navy blue doors around here. And that's a clue, because those houses with navy blue doors are owned by the Duchy. So walking up and down that street, I was looking at the windows and the roofs and the bright, clean paint on the outside of these buildings. And we knew that these were properties that had been deemed eligible for these Bono Vacantia funds to be spent on, for things like new double glazing or the upkeep to the outside of the houses. I found rental ads online that suggest they go for about £800, £900 a month or more, which means the duchy could be bringing in about £190,000 a year in rental income from this one street alone. And then on another day, I went along with one of our producers, Lucy, to another picturesque village. This was over in Lancashire. And I was looking for a particular farm. It was owned by the Duchy of Lancaster, and we thought that this is one of the places where Bonavacantia money had been spent. Root farm. Root farm. 
actually, yeah, let me take a photo of that. So on this farm complex, there's a holiday let cottage, but there's also all of these outside barn structures and buildings. And the duchy had identified these as eligible for bona vacantia spending for things like new roofs and the, the upkeep of these outhouse farm buildings. And then later that year, they'd applied for planning permission from the local council to turn those buildings into office spaces, which could then be rented out for profit. And, you know, it's a nice little building, but I don't know if you would call it a historic monument worthy of spending dead people's money on. So, maybe the general theme here is that in all of these cases, money is clearly spent on properties owned by the duchy. It's used for maintenance and renovations of those properties that are then rented out for profit. How exactly does that work? So we saw with some of the residential properties, the duchy would put out press releases about having renovated them, having done them up. Back in Yorkshire, there was this farm building which they'd turned into a, quote, sensitively refurbished family home, which they then rented out for £1,400 or so a month. And so it also meant it avoided them having to dip into their own funds, you know, to pay for some of these things that a landlord would pay for. So it seems that that practice is helping make rental properties more profitable, which indirectly, down the line, benefits the king. Maeve, I was really amazed to read your reporting and I can't actually quite get my head around what it's been like for those who knew those that died, who'd not really planned necessarily for their deaths and what their friends and neighbours might have made of it. I mean, how many people were you able to identify that this had happened to? Yeah, we felt like that was a really crucial part of this whole jigsaw was to to understand a bit about who these people were. They they aren't just numbers in the accounts of the duchy. So we found the name of dozens and dozens of people who had passed away intestate, which is when you don't have a will. And their estates had all been passed to the duchy and we could see from probate records how much had gone to the duchy in each case. So I had this list of places Preston, Manchester, Ulverston in the Lake District, Burnley, Liverpool, Warrington, all of these towns and cities across the northwest, um, and spent days and days driving around and, and knocking on neighbours' doors and talking to people where I could, trying to track people down to find out a little bit more about who these people were. Hi. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, hi, sorry to bother you. My name's Maeve. I'm a journalist from The Guardian. Um, I'm trying to find anyone that would know somebody called Peggy, who used to live at 6A here. Yeah. Anybody that might have known a guy called William Paul, who lived at number 25. Anybody that used to know Terence Hudson, who was here in 2021. I'm just trying to find anyone that would remember Julian Talbot, who lived at number 17. So you went through the probate documents, you could see how much each estate was worth and how much money was then going on to the duchy. What kind of figures are we talking? How big and small were these amounts? So in some cases, it was as little as around £6,000. On average, it was about £12,000. In other cases, it went up to £1.2 million wow. that we found in the documents. It could really range from, you know, not huge amounts to sizable money coming in. But what I should say about going around and, and talking to people and seeing where they lived and, and getting a sense of who these people were was 
the vast majority of cases that I saw, they weren't hugely wealthy people. They were living in in fairly deprived neighbourhoods, many in council housing or even supported accommodation. People that had passed away in nursing homes where, you know, a year or two after their death, nobody remembered them. And others that had huge networks of of friends and loved ones that, that really missed them and really felt that they had made a huge impact on their community. So it really ranged from those people to others who were much more isolated, people who ended up having you know council run funeral where where very few people attended it was a it was a real range when you spell it out like that it's just so sad to realize that some people's entire life savings which could just be a few thousand pounds the whole world to them but after their death it's then used to fund some double glazing for instance on a rental property for the already wealthy duchy of lancaster yeah and if people just don't know that or or kind of aren't consenting to that actively and especially the spend on these these kind of private rental properties hasn't until now been out there publicly so there hasn't been any kind of informed consent possible and yeah it was it was really striking to talk to to so many people and really get a sense of the impact that people had had on others lives you know, I was speaking to to friends of Val, who we heard about at the, at the start, who were, were outraged that this had happened. You know, they said they were gobsmacked and shocked and that it wasn't ethical and that she would have wanted the money to go to the local community. She was big into fundraising for Burnley and local causes when she was alive. This is not how she would have wanted her money to have been spent, they said. Maeve, is there anyone that you were really able to get a full picture of, of their life and how they'd lived? So it was great to hear about Val Taylor and from her friends. But I also heard a good deal about a man called David Wells Greenhall. He was much more well known than a lot of the people that I was looking at because he was actually the leader of Bolton Council. He was the first Conservative leader there for the council in about 40 years. And from everything I heard, he was an extremely well-liked, gregarious, friendly and warm person, committed to his community, fundraising both for the Conservative Party and for local causes. He'd actually worked as a actor in the West End. Right. He'd been in Les Mis when he was younger, but had issues with his kidneys throughout his life. And that had forced him out of that career and brought him back up to Bolton, where he had been born. And he really threw himself into the local community. Hello, everyone. This is just a quick message from me to wish you and your family all the best for Easter. And just to ask you all in Bolton to do your very best over the holiday weekend to tackle coronavirus. Right now, we cannot afford to be complacent. And when he passed away, it was a real shock to Bolton. His funeral was packed out. They even put the funeral online, uh, live streamed it and put it on screens outside of the church because so many people wanted to attend. Uh, Good morning, everybody. Um, Madam Mayor, um, honoured guests and, of course, uh, David's family. So a really popular, well-known local figure, but 
also one who died without a will, without an obvious next of kin. Maeve, when you told people what happened to David's estate after his death, what did they make of it? So people didn't know that this had happened. I mean, I did have people point out that that David was a royalist, but also that he cared deeply about Bolton. His friends after his death had fundraised for Wivenshaw Hospital and their renal transplant unit because that was a cause so dear to David's heart. So, you know, it's very hard to know what he would have made of it. But one person I did speak to was the mayor of Greater Manchester, Andy Burnham, who knew David through his work. They were on the the council of Greater Manchester together and he actually gave a speech at David's funeral. It's a genuine honour to be asked by Martin to pay this tribute to David today. And from what I could see, David was Bolton to a T. Warm, witty, kind, down to earth, David had it all. So we went back to Andy Burnham after all of this and put all of our findings to him. And he was really shocked to hear that this was happening both to, to David's estate and to people across the Northwest. He said, I don't recall this archaic system ever being explained to anyone here, nor public consent for it being given. And he also described it as, quote, a bizarre remnant of feudal Britain. Coming up, how has the king responded to the scrutiny over the spending of Bona Vacantia money? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. 
Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Maeve, when someone dies, presumably it's not just an automatic process and where this money ends up. And you'd think the duchy has to make an effort to find the next of kin for people who die living on its land. How does it go about this? Yeah, so the duchy use their lawyers, who are called Farrah and Co, to process these estates. And part of that is searching for next of kin. And that's part of where the kind of opacity of the duchy system comes into play, because in the rest of the country, if you were to pass away without a, a will or a next of kin, your name would go on this list that is published by the government legal department. There's a government website where it has details of people's names, the area that they passed away in, uh, addresses, the mother's maiden name, all these kind of clues that would help either a relative or a genealogist to go on and find the next of kin. That's not the case in the Northwest. The Duchy of Lancaster sporadically, it seems, publishes quite sparse lists of names. Those go in the very back pages of newspapers like The Times and also in local papers. But there is no online definitive list where you can go and find out the estates of people that have died in the Northwest. And the concern amongst the genealogists and air hunters that we spoke to is that makes it a lot harder for them to find people in the Northwest. So as you've said, the Dutchie solicitors, the law firm Farrers, they say they do do some checks, but what did they say in response to your reporting? So the Dutchie solicitors, Farrers and Co, declined to comment. So we don't know much more from them on what happens there. But, you know, I, I had done some tracking down of people who, who were on these lists and found relatives. And I found uh, one man who'd been contacted about a distant cousin who had died 10 years ago. And so 10 years after this lady's death in Liverpool, he hears about the estate from an air hunter company. And he said he'd never heard of Farrers and Co or the Duchy of Lancaster until that point. And then there was the man who had found out about his estranged father who had passed away. And he found out because the air hunter company had managed to get that name through the local authority who had given out information under freedom of information requests. So they'd really had to kind of ferret out that information to be able to find him. But loads of the local authorities I asked refused to give any information out under freedom of information. So you're kind of left with a blank page, really, when trying to find who actually has died in that area. And so what happens to that money when it's 10 years after the case, in the instance of the cousin, or it's long after the father has died, and if the money has already gone to the duchy, do those next of kin then have a right to claim it back? They do. So the duchy puts a portion of this money aside in a late claims fund, which is exactly for this purpose. So people have decades, they have 30 years where they can claim it and with interest accrued, and then after that they can claim without the interest. Maeve, you and the team have uncovered so much detail that wasn't at all public knowledge until now. Did it seem to you that 
much of this information was deliberately opaque and hidden from view? Or do you think it was simply the case that no one had bothered to look or ask before? So certainly the concept of Bona Vacantia and it going to the Duchy of Lancaster isn't a secret it's known about. Perhaps it's not well known in some areas. You know, I'd, I'd be interested to go down the street and ask how many people actually knew about it. But they do publish that that's what happens. But all of the public-facing materials on their website of the Duchy of Lancaster suggests that after deducting costs, the money goes to the Duchy Link charities. So what we've uncovered, which isn't anywhere publicly until now, is that they've been spending it in this way on their own properties, properties that you know eventually make them an income. Now, they say in that policy document that we found that any benefit to the king is incidental, that it's not the main purpose of that spend. But the fact remains that if you're doing up a property and then you can charge greater rents or repurpose it into a more profitable location or business, then there is going to be a profit. Well, what did the palace say when you approached them about your reporting? Would the Queen, now King, have known about all of this? Well, Buckingham Palace declined to comment. But the Duchy of Lancaster did confirm to us that on accession to the throne, His Majesty the King reaffirmed that money from Bonavacantia should not benefit the privy purse, i.e. the King directly, but it should, quote, be used primarily to support local communities, protect the sustainability and biodiversity of the land, and preserve public and historic properties across the Duchy of Lancaster estates. They went on to say this includes the restoration and repair of qualifying buildings in order to protect and preserve them for future generations. Maeve, since you and the team, which includes Rob Evans and Henry Dyer, since you published a story at the end of last week, it's fair to say it has caused a bit of a stir. But is there any hope of reforming this ancient system? Well, there has been a small step forward. As we said, a small portion of this Bonavacantia money went to the charities Uh, In fact, much of that £44 million was put into investment funds that had no clear ethical policies. So we asked the Duchy whether those funds were invested in any oil or gas or tobacco, weapons or mining companies. They declined to comment at first and then 48 hours later or so told us that they had started a process to move all of their investments, both this money and more money that they had, £100 million in total, into ethically invested funds. So that's great, but it doesn't really address the central issue that that Bonavacantia money is still being received from those in the Northwest. And nor have they said anything about whether they'll stop spending that money on their own rental properties. But, you know, at the very least, I hope we've raised some questions. Um, There might be some debate now going forward. But, you know, this is a, a custom that's gone on since the 13th century. These things move slowly in this country and it's really hard to predict what change will come, if change will come. But I just know that that as somebody that has grown up in the Northwest that still lives here, that I I should probably get on and make a will. I think we all do. (laughs) Yeah. Maeve, thanks so much for talking to me. Thanks. That was Maeve McLennigan. My thanks to her and Rob Evans and Henry Dyer. You can read their investigation titled Revealed, King Charles Secretly Profiting from the Assets of Dead Citizens and more by searching costofthecrown@theguardian.com. You can also catch up with their reporting and the Today in Focus mini-series uncovering the extent of royal wealth. That's all for today. I'm Nashin Iqbal and this episode was produced by Lucy Hoff and Tom Glasser. 
Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.